and thank you for the opportunity to share with you today. No matter what your position is in the workplace, you will learn in this talk how to maximize your gifts and talents, how to activate God in your business, in your workplace, how to get God involved in your life. And I'm going to begin today back at the beginning, Genesis, and we've read this scripture before in other talks, but I want to show you something a little bit new, a little bit different here. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8 reads like this, And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. In verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. God created the garden, the workplace, and he took man and put him in the workplace. God assigned man to be a steward over the garden. Now the definition of a steward is one who manages someone else's assets. Man was instructed to work, to work this garden, to manage the garden, to be productive, to increase the assets in the garden. The 24th Psalm, the first verse says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. It's not yours, it's not mine. It's the Lord's. And when we leave this earth, we take nothing with us. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It reads like this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each one has received a special gift. Wow! We each have a special gift to make use of by serving one another. I'm going to show you how this happens in the workplace as we go through this. I'm going to read from Matthew 25, starting with verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Well, what is it? Well, we have to look back at verse 1 of chapter 25, which says the kingdom of heaven, and that is what it is, the kingdom of heaven, will be comparable to. And there's two different parables written in chapter 25. And a parable is a story that has another meaning other than the story. It has a, a hidden meaning. And we're going to uncover the meaning or the hidden meaning of this parable. Then the kingdom of heaven in verse 1, if there's a kingdom, there's a king. People within a kingdom are governed by the will and the ways of the king. And we're going to learn here in this chapter 25, in this parable, what the prayer Jesus said to pray means when he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth like it is in heaven. So let's go to, and let's read verse 15. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. So verse 14 shows the sovereignty of God, the owner. He has the possessions, and he entrusts us with those possessions to be stewards. 
And then verse 15 shows the assignment of his assets, his possessions, to his servants who are his stewards. He's giving them dominion over those assets. But look at the key point in verse 15, each according to his own ability. We all have different abilities. We have different gifts and talents. And he assigned them resources. And let's read verse, verse 16. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. Verse 18, But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now these verses 16 through 18 show the efforts of these stewards to increase those assets, the effort to be productive, to take those assets and produce more. Well, let's read on. Verse 19, Now after a long time the master of these slaves came and settled accounts with them. In other words, the master came and he's going to make these stewards accountable now for their performance. Verse 20, And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. So we see that this steward, his motivation here, was serving the master. He understood stewardship, that these talents were not his, they were the master's. And we know that because he said, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. I have gained five more talents. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Being obedient to the master, being obedient to God, being a steward over what God has given us, and being productive enters us into the joy of the Lord. Being productive, leading to profit, increasing our assets. Verse 22, the one also who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. And the master says the same thing here in verse 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. So this, this steward, his motivation was profit for himself. He realized that whatever he did, whatever he produced, that he was not going to be able to get any of it. The master was going to come and gather it up. And so his motivation was completely opposite of the other two stewards. This steward was not submissive. He knew the master would take what he had earned, and he didn't want to be productive because of that. Let's read on, verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. 
Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have more, even what he does have shall be taken away. And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Stewardship. Let's review what we just read. God is the owner of all. We've been appointed to be stewards. Every person makes decisions concerning the resources under his or her management, choosing what to do with these assets. And we are to increase the value of the assets under our management. Being a good steward is to be productive, taking your gifts and talents and being productive so others can derive benefits. Let's go back to the garden again, back to Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. I read that earlier. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. When you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you become a god unto yourself. Decisions are made based on self-satisfaction, based on greed, pride, being in control. That's what we saw with that third steward. You see, it's the complete opposite of stewardship. We die in our spirit, and we don't have the Spirit of God with us because we have become a God unto ourselves. So I ask you, are you making decisions based on the tree of life? or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you're a business owner, you have tremendous responsibilities. Everyone employed by you is dependent on a paycheck. They've put trust in you and your management team to make decisions that are best for the company. What I have found too often when doing consulting work for business owners is a, what I call a hireling mentality. Now I'm gonna turn over to the 10th chapter of John and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Tenth chapter of John, verses 11 through 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. A business owner must be a shepherd. Your decisions must be based on what is best for the business. What is best for your employees? Too often I would find a business owner paying himself an exorbitant salary, taking everything out of the business. The business may be in dire need of new, new equipment or needs to invest money in a marketing program, but there wasn't any money because the owner was taking everything out of it. The hireling mentality. How do you know if you have a hireling mentality? How do you recognize a hireling mentality? Decisions are made for the benefit of the owner and not the benefit of the whole. 
The mentality of the owner is, I owe these people nothing. I have provided work for them. They should be happy. The shepherd mentality looks at the business and recognizes that the people are the most important asset. The business owner's responsibility is to increase the value of those assets that are under his or her care. I'm going to read from Mark, the 8th chapter. I'm going to start with verse 1. I'm going to read the first nine verses. We're going to see a biblical principle that's opposite of the hireling mentality, the shepherd mentality, a biblical principle. Verse 1, In those days again, when there was a great multitude and they had nothing to eat, he summoned his disciples and said to them, Jesus summoned his disciples and said, Verse 2, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their home, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Verse 5, And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and began giving them to his disciples to serve to them, and they served them to the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven full baskets of what was left over of the broken pieces. And about 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. You start with what you have, and you share your bread. You share your bread as a business owner. What is your bread? It's your money. You meet the needs of your people, your employees, by sharing your bread. And by sharing your bread, it multiplies your bread. You have compassion for your employees if you have a shepherd mentality. Sharing of the bread could be many things. It could be up-to-date equipment that you're investing in, medical insurance for your employees, profit sharing, a pleasant environment to work in. You have to have a willingness to share to serve your people. What we just read here, the disciples, the management team of Jesus, were willing to share the bread. And seven loaves became seven full baskets after everyone was satisfied. So are you being a good steward over what is in your hand? Are you being productive? Is your motivation to serve or profit for yourself? And what about you as an employee in the workplace? Are you being a good steward over your responsibilities? Are you just biding your time? Do you care about the success of the company you work for? Let's look at reality. How do you take the concept of stewardship into the dynamics of the workplace and maximize your gifts and talents? As I discussed in the talk, Ethics, Where Are You? I talked about that there's nowhere else where we face a greater battle with issues of ambition and power and politics and self-interest than in the workplace. We work among people who labor together as a team for the success of the business and yet we're competing against each other for positions within the business. Our own career path and its advancement competes with the interest of others. And sometimes those others play the game different than the way we play it, a different set of rules. 
The fact is the marketplace is far from a neutral setting. It's a mixture of ideas and beliefs and influences as well as goods and services. You have the corporate or business culture that influences you when you go to work. Certain ideas, beliefs on how to provide services or get a product into the marketplace. But you also have the influence of people on other people. People bring to work with them their perceptions, their beliefs, and their assumptions. Let's call this their view of life. In their work, people act and communicate from that view of life that they have. Now your view of life influences not only how you do your work, but how your view can influence coworkers. The workplace is not a neutral setting. Many times it can be a battleground. And if it's a battleground, there's going to be winners and losers. There's going to be leaders and followers. There's going to be influencers and those that are influenced. Take stock of yourself. Think for a moment. Are you a leader or a follower? Are you influenced or are you influencing? I'm going to read from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Servants in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. What does this mean, do our work for the Lord? Well, it means to follow these biblical principles that we've been talking about, to follow God's ways that lead to an abundant life, a life of value, a life where the proper stewardship of your gifts and talents allows you to be successful, to find value in your life and to help others to find value in their lives. Now, I want to give you four steps to take to maximize your gifts and talents. The first one is Establish a standard of excellence in your life. The eighth psalm, the first verse, reads, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. How excellent is thy name. And Psalm 150, verse 2 reads, Praise him according to his excellent greatness. And Isaiah, the 12th chapter, verse 5, reads, Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. So excellent is his name. Excellent things he has done. Excellent is his wisdom. Well, what about your name? What about what you have done? What about your wisdom? To maximize your gifts and talents, you must first of all be excellent in what you do a standard of excellence in the day-to-day -day activities in your workplace being the very best you can be ask yourself what standard are you bringing to the workplace now the word standard means a level or grade of excellence established and used as a comparison how do you compare to others in the excellence of your work in your honesty, your integrity, your concern for the rights and welfare of others? What about complying with the policies and procedures of your company? 
is the business you are working for getting a good return on its investment, which is you. Do you do just enough to get by or have you established a standard of excellence for yourself or for your business if you are a business owner? What are you communicating to those around you? Whatever you do or do not do communicates your values and beliefs. You say something by your work productivity, by the quality of your work, by the words that you speak, positive or negative. The standard creates judgment. If you are a business owner, the standard that you have established in your business, the marketplace makes judgment on you by comparison to your competition. I would suggest go through every part of your business. Look for how you can raise the standard in the quality of your product and your customer service. A standard of customer service I discuss in the talk customer service reaching the reward level. When we talk about customer service, if you are an employee, your standard of excellence becomes a measuring stick for everyone else. Be excellent in all that you do. Get the proper education and training. As a business owner, you must provide the proper training for your employees. Excellence begins by knowing who you are and who you aren't. You begin with your own natural abilities. Often a person fails to recognize the gifts and talents they don't have. They start a business or they'll get into a position where their gifts and talents aren't being utilized. And the result is a lack of success. And I'll give you a true life example of what I'm talking about. I have a very good friend of mine who took a sales position a few years ago. And in this position he was selling a service to businesses. It was, it was an intangible product. It was a product that the customer couldn't see and my friend struggled with with this with trying to sell this service there were other salespeople that were prospering but he was not generating the sales and he had previously been successful in sales he had sold gift merchandise to gift shops for a number of years was very successful so he knew he could sell but this sales position just wasn't working out so he interviewed with a company that sold a home product and he was hired and this home product was it was a tangible product it was a product the prospective customer could see the customer could was familiar with this product and that change from selling a tangible product versus an intangible product meshed with his abilities it engaged his abilities his gifts his talents and since he's joined that company, he's been the number one salesperson in his company every year he's been there. He was able to get into the right position that engaged his natural abilities. He became a standard of excellence that all the other salespeople in his company are measured by. So many times in my consulting practice, I've seen business owners who have grown their business to a certain level, but have struggled to grow beyond that point. And usually the reason is they need others who have gifts and talents and different experiences from the owner that are vital at this point in the life of the business. For the business to grow, other people, other gifts, other talents, other experiences must come into the business. So a standard of excellence. You communicate to others through what you say, 
what you do and what you don't do. You say something by your work ethic, your attitude, your willingness to help others or lack of willingness to help others. You say something by your work knowledge. Does your company judge the performance of others by your performance? If you're a business owner, what is the standard you are setting for your employees, for your customers, for your industry? A standard of excellence. That's the first step to maximizing your gifts and talents. The second step to maximize your gifts and talents is to engage God's principles. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 22 and I'm going to read verses 36 through 40. Verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So how do I love the Lord with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind? Well, verse 39 tells you. The second is like it. What is it? It is the first, the first commandment, which we read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Verse 39 tells you the second is like it. You do it by loving your neighbor as yourself. And who's our neighbor? Anyone. Verse 40, every principle, every law that we read about is based on these two commandments. Because verse 40 reads, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Well, how do we live this out day to day in our life? How do we live this out in the workplace? I'm going to read from Mark 10, verses 42 through 45. Verse 42, and calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. What Jesus is saying here is out in the world, those that are in authority, they're demanding, they're ruling. This is how they operate. This is how they rule the people or manage the people. Verse 43 says, But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A different management style. Jesus says there's a different way to manage. There's a different way to interact with people, and it's to serve. To serve is to help meet the needs of others. How do we do that in the workplace? Well, if you're an employee or a manager, welcoming a new employee, helping them to get acclimated to their new surroundings, being encouraging, making positive statements to those around you, to be a positive influence is how to serve. Sharing your knowledge, helping others. Don't have the attitude, it's not my job. That's how you serve in the workplace. If you're a business owner, you should be serving your employees by making certain they have proper training, proper equipment, 
They have a pleasurable environment to work in. Not just the surroundings, but the spirit of your company. People are happy to come to work. You hear laughter throughout the day. They enjoy what they're doing. Providing a pleasurable environment for them. Encouraging them. Being sensitive to their needs. That's how you serve people. As a manager, you serve the people. It's different than being in control and having authority and, and driving the person. It's a different way of managing. It's a different way of going through your life in the workplace. Let me show you the opposite of what I'm talking about. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 23 and start with verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier visions of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others so verse 23 says neglecting justice mercy and faithfulness verse 25 reads woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence so here we read we've read in verse 23 Let's think about our workplace. Let's think about managing, working with our fellow workers, neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and committing robbery and self-indulgence. In verse 28, Even so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow, that's a long way from loving your neighbor as yourself. These are the things that we should not do. These are the opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself. Let me share a real life story with you. A friend of mine, and for the sake of this, I'm gonna call her Anita. She started a new job and she loved her work, but there was this one employee who was just plain nasty to Anita. She would verbally abuse Anita every chance she got. And I'm going to call this person Attila. Now this ongoing situation that Anita was going through, it became very stressful to her. And she was considering quitting. But she found out, Anita found out that she was the third person in the last seven months to have this position. And when Anita found out, she realized this was not a personal attack against her. This was a problem that Attila had and everyone who took this position had this Attila issue to deal with. So Anita changed. Instead of reacting, Anita would respond always in a positive manner whenever Attila said something to her. Anita began to ask Attila to go on coffee breaks with her. Anita would help Attila if she was on a tight deadline to have her work completed. Anita started loving her neighbor as herself. And guess what happened? She took the sword right out of Attila's hand. She overcame the hostility and the abuse with loving your neighbor. She changed Attila by loving her. Now I'm not advocating you should stay in an abusive situation, but I am saying, as we just learned, loving your neighbor as yourself is a law. It's a principle that can overcome negative situations 
and create opportunities for you. Engaging God's principles will help you to maximize your gifts and talents. The third step to maximizing your gifts and talents is to recognize and overcome hindrances to success. Now I would like for you as I discuss these hindrances to think about your workplace and see if you recognize any of these hindrances in your life. Hindrances that are being generated by people you are in contact with each day or hindrances that are being brought forth by you that are affecting people that come in contact with you. Now be honest with yourself. Open yourself up and let's see what these hindrances are and how they apply in your life. You know, often people do not realize the impact, positive or negative, they have on others. So I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 13. In this chapter, the Lord instructs Moses to choose 12 leaders from the Israelites and go into the land of Canaan that the Lord had promised to give to the Israelites. So we're going to pick up the story at verse 18. Moses is instructing the Israelites, verse 18, and see what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. And how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? Verse 20, And how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So the twelve leaders, they go forth and they go into the land of Canaan and they spy it out for forty days. And they come back after 40 days and they give a report to Moses and the people. And so we're going to see what this report is all about, starting with verse 27. Thus they told him, Moses, and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the seed of Anak there. Well, this report caused quite a stir among the people. As, we're, as we read now, as we pick up verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Well, the first thing we read that hinders your chance for success is being surrounded by negative people or having a negative attitude yourself. Ask yourself this. Are you in contact with people who believe in you, who encourage you, who help you, or are you in contact with people that bring a negative influence and tend to discourage you? And what about you? 
If you're a business owner or manager, are you having a positive influence on your people? The 12 leaders we just read about, look at the effect that they had on the people with the report they had. Let me read chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, all because of the report the leaders brought back. What about those of you that are employed? Those of you that are part of a team within your company, are you bringing a positive influence or a negative influence to your workplace each day? As a business owner or manager, you should be listening for how your business sounds. What are you hearing each day? Are you hearing sounds of laughter and joy? Are you hearing positive words? Do your people enjoy coming to work? Do you even know if you, your people are happy or sad? Look and listen. Be sensitive to your people. So the first hindrance to success is negative attitudes. Another hindrance to overcome is blaming others. I'm going to read chapter 14, verse 2 of Numbers. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? And why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Oh, if you'd only done something different, I wouldn't be in the predicament I'm in. It's your fault. I'm not responsible. Grumbling about your boss, as we see in verse 2, the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Blaming, even blaming the Lord, as we read in verse 3. What are you doing? What is your attitude? What you should do is reflect on what you have done or not done to contribute to your difficulties. And what can you do to change them? What can you do to not make that same error again? Take stock of yourself. Blaming others is a hindrance to success. The third hindrance to success is expecting failure. Let me continue in verse 3 of chapter 14. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? In chapter 13, verse 31 reads, But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. The Israelites expected failure before they even started. What do you expect today out in the marketplace? Do you expect to make a sale today? Do you expect to find the employment you've been looking for today? What are you expecting today? Success or failure? Expecting failure equals no action. Nothing gets done if you're expecting failure and it's a hindrance to success. The fourth hindrance to success is accepting information from the wrong source. We're going to read Numbers chapter 14 verses 4 through 9. So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of 
Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Accepting information from the wrong source. This is what the Israelites did. Without accurate information, you won't see things as they really are. You'll see them as you think they are. Basing decisions on circumstances that surround you. Acting impulsively. See, the Israelites had two sources of information. They had the ten spies, or the ten leaders, and Joshua and Caleb. Now, which of these represented God? God had told them he was going to give them the promised land. But they accepted information from the wrong source, and it stopped them. So that's the fourth hindrance, accepting information from the wrong source. The fifth hindrance that hinders our chances for success is being stopped by obstacles. You see, we're going to have challenges and obstacles in our life. However, the attitude we take toward them separates the successful people from the unsuccessful. How do you handle obstacles? Do they stop you or challenge you? An obstacle or hindrance is something that stands in the way or stops progress. In the Israelites' case, the obstacles seemed to be the giants. But really, their obstacle was their attitude. God had told them he was going to give them the land. He made a promise to them. But how quickly they forgot the promise when an obstacle arose. God did not say the report was false. It was accurate. There were giants. The prospect of taking the promised land looked dim. didn't look too good. God said the report was bad. It did not account for faith. God never intended for them to do it alone. He was to be their predominant partner in the taking of the promised land. So obstacles, how we respond or react to obstacles, it can be a hindrance to success. All five of these hindrances that I've just reviewed with you kept the Israelites from activating their faith. Their attitude, their thinking did not allow God to be active in their lives. Their thinking did not allow them to activate their faith and faith without works is useless. Their attitude, their thoughts kept them from action. See, God had tested them and was ready to bring them into the promised land. And what did they do? Verse 11, chapter 14. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? They spurned God. They didn't believe in his ways. They didn't believe God would be with them. If you listen to my talk, A Renewing of Your Mind, I challenged you in that talk to prove these biblical principles found in this Bible that I've been reading from by implementing them into your life. Don't spurn God. Engage God. Allow Him to go with you into your land, your workplace, 
You see, the Israelites didn't trust God. I'm going to read Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In other words, seek God's wisdom. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge Him. Now His ways we've been talking about in all these talks that, that I've been doing. And He will make your paths straight. In other words, He'll give you clear direction. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see, everything would have turned out differently if the Israelites had trusted God and activated their faith. Because activating their faith would have put them into action. They would have went into the promised land. You have to take action. I'm going to turn to Joshua, the first chapter. And I'm going to read verse 2. The Lord is speaking to Joshua, and verse 2 reads, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. And then verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Three times God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. One time he says, be strong and very courageous. Being strong and courageous means to take action according to the biblical principles we've been talking about. Verse 7 says, don't turn to the right or left. In other words, stay on course. Verse 8, meditate on these words. Engage these words. Be careful to do according to all that is written in it, this book. And then verse 8 says, what will happen? Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Prosperous and successful because verse 9 reads, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow! Wouldn't you like to have God with you wherever you go? You see, the same God that spoke these words to Joshua speaks these same words to each of us today. He says, follow my ways, engage my principles. You will be prosperous. You will be successful. I will be with you. Maximizing your gifts and talents is getting God active in your life. The fourth step to maximizing your gifts and talents is you must have faith. And I'm going to read from Hebrews, the 11th chapter. First three verses reads like this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. 
in verse 6, and without faith it is impossible. It is impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Believing that he is, and he wants to be active in our life if we will believe that he is. Believing brings action from you, and action from you brings action from God. Now, faith produces endurance. I'm going to read the first seven verses of the 12th chapter of Hebrews. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Well, we've read here verse 7 says, Faith produces endurance, and endurance produces discipline. Verse 7, it says, It is for discipline that you endure, to get discipline. And then verse 8, But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You're illegitimate children. You don't belong to God. Well, Romans 8.14 reads, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So faith produces endurance, and endurance develops the discipline and allows you to be led by the Spirit. And when you engage the Spirit of God, your life changes dramatically. And I talk about that extensively in the, in the talk led by the Spirit in the workplace. But when you endure, you find favor with God. And when, when you have favor with God, you find favor with man. I'm going to read 1 Peter 2. Verse, start with verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure, there's that word endure again, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Favor with God. Endurance produces favor with God. And when you have favor with God, Romans 14, verses 17 through 19, read, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
For he who is in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. When you're moving by the Spirit, you find favor with man because you have favor with God. Verse 19, So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we're being led by the Spirit, that's the way we are. And we build up one another. We engage God's principles. And we have favor with God, and therefore we have favor with man. I'm going to share with you a real-life situation of finding favor with man that happened to me. But before I share this with you, I want to read from the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And I want to show you that this Old Testament God who speaks to Jeremiah is the same God who speaks and directs you and me in our lives, if we allow him to. I'm going to read in the 32nd chapter of Jeremiah. And in this 32nd chapter, Jeremiah has been put in prison, and the city is being besieged by the army of the king of Babylon. And the army is going to overtake the city, and it's going to take control of all the houses and all the land. All the citizens who own houses and land are going to lose their ownership because of this siege that's taking place by the king of Babylon. And I'm going to start with verse 6, chapter 32 of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field, please, that is at Anathoth, which is in the land of Benjamin. For you have the right of possession, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Verse 9, And I bought the field which was at Anathoth from Hanamel, my uncle's son, and I weighed out the silver for him, seventeen shekels of silver. And I signed and sealed the deed, and called in witnesses, and weighed out the silver on the scales. Then I took the deeds of purchase, both the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. Verse 12, And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the sight of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase before all the Jews who were sitting in the court of the guard. And I commanded Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, the sealed deed of purchase, and this open deed, and put them in the earthenware jar, that they may last a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Jeremiah got a word from God, and he obeyed God. He took action in spite of the circumstances surrounding him. Put yourself in Jeremiah's place. Here he is. He's in prison. The army's attacking the city. What he was being directed to do by God made absolutely no sense. But after Jeremiah had obeyed God, his circumstances were still the same. He was still in prison. The entire city was under attack. So what did Jeremiah do? What he did was he prayed. Let's pick up verse 16. 
After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee, who showest loving kindness to thousands, but repayest the inequity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them, O great and mighty God. The Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds, who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and even to this day both in Israel and among mankind, and thou hast made a name for thyself as at this day. In verse 24, Behold, the siege mounds have reached the city to take it, and the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken has come to pass, and behold, thou seest it. And thou hast said to me, O Lord God, buy for yourself the field with money and call in witnesses, although the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Verse 26, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? You see, your problems, your challenges, are not so insurmountable that God can't handle them. The difference between Jeremiah and the Israelites that we discussed earlier was one simple word, action. He believed in God. He believed that when God spoke to him, he activated his faith. Action in obedience to God's word brings action from God. That verse 6 that I read earlier, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Let me take you from this story of Jeremiah to a story that happened to me just a few years ago and it had to do with land and it had to do with the word of the Lord coming to me a few years ago there was a there was about 30 acres of property that my partner and I we wanted to develop and build residential homes on but the property wasn't for sale a number of developers had approached the owner Mr. Britt trying to buy the property this property had been in Mr. Britt's family for a long time and he just wasn't sure he wanted to sell. He wasn't sure what he wanted to do with it, but he certainly wasn't quite ready to sell the property. I felt very impressed by the Spirit, a word from the Lord, to approach Mr. Britt about purchasing his property even though we didn't have the money to purchase it. We were much like Jeremiah. It didn't make sense. Why go talk to Mr. Britt when we didn't have the money to purchase the property? But I approached him about purchasing the property and I shared with him our plans for developing the property. Now, this property had huge oak trees on it. We were going to name the community the Royal Oaks. And we were going to have a, a beautiful four acre park in the middle of the community where the kids could play and where everyone could gather for, for community functions. And I explained all this to Mr. Britt and I also told him that I didn't have the money to purchase the property. Now, I explained to him that, that I could secure the financing to develop the property, to put in the sewer and the streets and the curbs 
but I didn't have the money to purchase the property. And for me to secure financing for the development, the bank was going to require me or require that the land be free and clear. So it became the collateral for the development loan. And I said, Mr. Britt, you know, you own this property free and clear. There's no lien on it. But for us to develop the property, the only way we can do it is for you to subordinate your ownership in the property to the bank. And then after we develop the property, we would begin construction of, of the individual homes and we'll pay you a certain amount of money from each sale until the land is fully paid off. I was asking Mr. Britt to give up his land and give the ownership rights of the land to the bank. And if our project was not successful, if it failed, the homes didn't sell for whatever reason, and the bank had to foreclose on the property, Mr. Britt would lose the land that had been in his family for generations. But because I had favor with God and God had directed me to this man, I found favor with Mr. Britt. And he agreed to my proposal. Agreeing to do this was something unheard of. He could potentially lose the property to the bank if we failed. But he agreed, and we developed the property, we built the homes, and it was a very successful endeavor. Now, I remember when we started the project, we had a groundbreaking ceremony, and Mr. Britt was so pleased that his land became this beautiful community. He was happy. I found favor with Mr. Britt because I had favor with God. It opened the door that in the normal day-to-day -day business activities, this would have never happened. But I had to act. Even though it seemed impossible for us to purchase the property, God directed me to approach Mr. Britt. And again, I'll come back to what I mentioned earlier. If you want to know all about how God directs you, it's all in the talk led by the Spirit in the workplace. Remember back to Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, when God said, Remember, all things are possible with God. And again, I'm going to say to you, action by you brings action from God. When God gets involved in your life, things that seem impossible become possible. We have learned we all have natural abilities that we must use, and if you follow the path that was just laid out for you, it activates God into your life, into your workplace, into your business. Don't leave God in church on Sunday. And always remember, all things are possible with God. Thank you for allowing me to share with you today.